0: I don't know if you've been I've been on both sides of this now, right? Where when I was younger, I was the one coming home for the holidays. And so so my mama would go to clean in the house. She she would prepare our my my favorite food. She would she would prepare the guest room. She would fill the candy jar and the cookie jar with things that I liked, and and when you would get there, there was an anticipation. She'd been waiting. She was excited, and you get one of those mama hugs where you just kind of melt into mom, you know, and and so that would happen. And then she would fling the door open and go, "Welcome home." Um, we just want you to be while you're here. We don't need you to do anything. We don't need you to, we just need you to be rest and enjoy being home. So, so there's that element of like home for the holidays. And then I've now been on the other side where I'm the one waiting for guests to come. Right? So, so we've, we've hosted at our house for Christmas. And so, you know how that works? Like you, you begin to clean things that you thought they were clean. But you were told to clean them, so you clean them anyways because there's guests coming. You know what I'm saying? So, so like you clean and clean and clean, and you begin to cook and prepare and go shopping and, and buy stuff that you're going, I don't even like this food, but it doesn't matter because it's not about you. It's about your guests, and you're preparing, right? There's a preparing process. There's a, there's a cleaning process, and, and then there's this anticipation for the arrival of this guest. And, and, and now like with, with technology and we can stay in touch, you know how far away they are. They're getting closer we get more excited and then they arrive. That is the feeling that advent should bring to us as believers. That that feeling that man we are we are going to be at home for the holidays. That, that feeling that, that Christmas, this, this story of God becoming flesh, this, this story that we get to interact with, this story that, that is a part of us so deeply, that, that we, we have such anticipation. that the, the 25th is coming, the celebration is coming. We're going to be reminded of, of the, probably one of the greatest, if not the resurrection, the greatest moment in human history. That, that is for us and for mankind. And we, we get to get excited in our But what we need along with that is this preparing of our souls. That, that just like you clean your house, that maybe this season in Advent, if you're not familiar with church, Advent is the four weeks um, that the church has claimed leading up to Christmas. Advent means to, to anticipate, to prepare for the arrival of a significant person. And so with Advent, then we, we, Now, for the next four weeks, what we want to do as a community is say, what do you need to do to prepare your soul to be at home for the holidays? And when we say home, the the best place for your soul. So at rest with God, at peace, full of joy, free from fear and stress and depression and anxiety, free from the weights that are around us, What, what would it look like? What would it look like for your soul to be home for the holidays? And how do you prepare? And so for the next four weeks, we just, we just want to dive in on some practical levels of going. Man, we have some soul work. Here, here's what I believe, that there's not a person in the room tonight that doesn't have some soul work to do. There's not, there, I don't care if you walked with Jesus for 50, 60 years, 70 years. You have some soul work to do. He is not done with you yet. You are not Jesus yet. Maybe you think you are. I got, sorry, I just burst your bubble. Um, but, but there is this intentional like journey of, of the soul where, where God wants to free us from stuff. God wants to move us. And Advent is a time where it, it can be very intentional. So here's what we're going to do. I titled the sermon, Let's Go. Okay, let's go. So you're going to look at your neighbor and say, let's go. Okay, you just left somebody out. So let's look at the other neighbor. Let's go. Okay, so we're going to work on, we're going to work for the premise of, let's go. We got soul work. Let's go. So if you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Let's go, baby. I heard that. I'm down. Let's do this. That's what I'm saying. You know what what I mean? Um, Luke chapter 2, there's a context that we're going to dive into. But first, there is a disclaimer, and it's this. If you are a church person, if you grew up around church, if you have been around church for, let's say, three, four years or longer around Christmas, and you hear Luke chapter two mentioned, there's something that happens internally. It's called a callousing of the ears, right? Where you can start to go, oh, I heard this story. Um, then I prayed for you this week, if that's you. I prayed for you this week, and here, here's what I mean. I prayed for you Because God's got something for you to hear from this. He showed me something this week that I went, man, I've heard that story. How many times? I've never seen it that way. And I'm praying that he does the same for you. So Luke chapter two, the context is this, that Rome is the empire of the day. Rome rules, owns it all. And in the midst of that, now Rome has set out a decree, right? And the decree is that you have to go and you have to return to your hometown and you have to be counted for a census that Rome is is taking. And so in the context of now moving towards the hometown, we get this about Joseph and Mary. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem to the town of David because he belonged to the house and line of David. So that's where Bethlehem comes in. Mary and Joseph are making their word there because Joseph is from Bethlehem. Hence how we know the context of where the birth takes place. Next verse. He went there to register with Mary who was pledged to be married. Pledged to be married. So they're engaged, but she's expecting a child. Um, if you're unfamiliar with church, just kind of a real foundational point to put down. Um, she's a virgin. They're not married and she's expecting a child. We know that child to be who Jesus, right? We know the child is God in the flesh. Like she, she is going to have Jesus, the savior of the world. Next verse. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. Next verse. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son, wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was, and if you have a Bible or you have a tablet or you have something that you're reading along with that you can highlight, I need you to highlight this next phrase, no guest room available for them, no guest room available for them. This verse builds an amazing picture. And maybe the picture you have in mind when you first hear that there was no guest room available, you might be like me and my brain flashes back to like kids plays. You know, the, you know, the ones where they line all the kids up in cute stuff and that's how they get all the people in church, you know, that one. Um, But at some point there's a little, there's a little guy that comes out and he's the innkeeper, right? And Mary and Joseph and Mary's got like the pillow up under her shirt. You know what I'm saying? She's like this tall, Um, but, but she, she comes up and, 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 The innkeeper goes, there's no room. And they go along to the next place and the innkeeper comes out. There's no room. And they get down to the last place and the innkeeper comes out. He goes, there's no room, but I do have a stable. Anybody familiar with this story? Anybody see it that way? Anybody got that picture? Okay, that is not what this verse says. See, some translations use the word in, that there was no room at the inn. There was no room available at the inn. The problem is this. When we hear the word "in," We translate into the cultural context of us, and we instantly go to hotels and motels, right? The day we're going along, one after the other, just finding somewhere to crash, right? Until they hit motel six, and praise the Lord, they had a stable, right? Um, (laughs) The problem is, Bethlehem wasn't situated on a road that would have necessitated having an inn. Bethlehem wasn't in a location where it made sense to have a commercial inn, so more than likely, there wasn't a commercial in, as we think of it, in Bethlehem. So, so now you can boo the little guy when he comes out on stage and he begins to tell him, like, there's no room. You just start booing. You're like, you're not in the story. Um, right? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Please don't boo him. Please don't boo him. Okay. No guest room available. Okay, so now the next thing. Next like picture that comes to mind from our Western grid is when you say you have no guest room available, you think of your house and you think, or maybe not your house, but a house. And they have a room that is designated for guests and, and they keep that room clean. And when the guests come, they stay in the guest room, right? The problem is in this time frame, in this culture, you didn't have a guest room in the house. So, so the picture of a guest room doesn't even work. You had a house where everybody lived. Right, You had a room where everybody lived. You had the upper part of the house was where people lived. And below that, you had where the animals would stay underneath. So, so what this is actually talking about, if you look at the wording of no guest room available, what you actually get is there was no place indoors for them to have the birth. A.K.A. how that translates. Remember, everybody was coming to to Bethlehem. So friends and family had showed up in Bethlehem. They had packed out the upper, which was the living quarters. They had packed that out. It was crowded. It was full. And so, hence, they go below where the animals are for the birth, which is how you get Jesus being placed into a manger. Now, I just want to build a picture, if I can, for a second. Because the word overcrowded... Makes a whole lot of sense. That the up part of this house, the upper part, was so overcrowded with friends and family that it forced Jesus out and down below. Which, for me, began to give me a beautiful picture of our culture at Christmas. That our souls become so overcrowded with people and stuff and things and feelings and emotions and life that we can become so overcrowded that the reality is by time our souls are so stuffed with the season Jesus then gets relegated to the outside to the to the edges if you like of our souls simply because we're so full of other things taking the place that was intended for Jesus, I don't know about you, but this season, culturally, the demands as a dad, the demands as a husband, the demands as a leader of a, a ministry, the demands as a leader within, within professionally what I do, the, the demands of like, like they begin to add up and it's not long before my soul can become so cluttered that I'm now fighting for any space for Jesus to fit in it sounds a whole lot like a house where Jesus was born under. And it begins to make me question, what would it look like this season? As as we start Advent, as we begin to move intentionally, what would it look like to intentionally begin to unclutter our souls? What would it look like for you? What are some intentional moments that you need to have that would move you from being cluttered to actually having space, having peace, having calm. Because here's what's interesting, right? So so you get done with this verse, and there's a clear picture of um, those that were inside forced Jesus outside, right? The very next verse picks up this way in verse eight. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. And there were shepherds living out. And here's what's significant, right? The shepherds... Um, by definition, if you are a shepherd, it means you, you look after what kind of animal? Man, you guys are sharp. You, go, you guys are good. Well done. Right? Sheep. You look after sheep. So, so by definition, they are where the sheep are because they are shepherds. But, but there's extra wrinkles to why they are in the field. And, and we'll get more into that. But, but the idea is this. They are outsiders on society. So, so the ones who are on the outside now, so, so there's a picture where Jesus has been put on the outside. And now in that context, the very next people that are brought into the story are those that are out on a hill. They're the outsiders on culture and society, and it says they're keeping, their, keeping watch over their flocks at night. So they're out with their sheep at night. Next verse. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Next verse. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy. I bring you good news that will cause great joy. So, so you have the outsiders essentially on society on a hill and what is offered to them, what is, it, what, is it, what is being brought by the angel to these outsiders is, hey, I have good news that will cause what? Great joy. I have good news that will cause great joy. I, I maybe just push this in light of this one statement that maybe as a, as a, I'm not saying heights per se, but at times maybe that we lose track of what the good news actually is. Because the good news in this context will equal what? Great joy. And so we probably know if we're still sitting on good news, if we have great joy. I I don't know, but like in in meeting us, there should be a moment that when people meet us, they go, you have the good news. And you go, well, how do you know that? Because you have great joy. You have a contagious joy. Like your circumstances are horrible, but you you have great joy. Your, your, your life, what's going on in your world doesn't make sense, but you're, you have joy. How can that be? The only way that can be is you understand and you stand on and you grasp good news. And so I propose this to you, that we are looking this 23rd and this 24th, when we open up the campus at night and we celebrate and we are going all out as big as we can go, right? There's only one thing we're looking for this year. And it's this, that when people step on this campus they run into a whole bunch of other people who, who know the good news because they have what? Great joy. And so when they come on the campus, what they walk away from the campus with, we want one thing from them. They walk from here with joy. We want them to leave the campus going, I was with, surrounded by, and they walk off the campus with joy. Why? Because they were where the good news is. That's the whole point of where we're heading as a community. That's the whole point of opening it up to the community. Why? Because what according to the first angels that came to these shepherds, they said, listen, we have over here, we have some news for you that is good news. It'll change your world. And there's great joy. It will cause great joy for all the people. Then today in the town of David, a savior, a rescuer, a redeemer, Has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. That verse alone deserves an amen, by the way. The Bible will preach all by itself. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and laying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor or grace rests. When angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, what do they say? Let's go. go. (laughs) Right? I told my daughter, I was thinking about naming it, let's go, the sermon title, let's go. And she goes, dad, you're just trying to be trendy. (laughs) I'm like, baby, I'm not. It's in the Bible. Right? (laughs) Let's go. So, so these guys are on a hill, they're outsiders, right? They're outsiders. And and the angel comes and goes, hey, we got good news of great joy. And there's a savior that is born. The Messiah is here. He's going to rescue and redeem. That's the good news. And they're on the hilltop and they go, let's go. Let's go. Now, y'all did that tonight. We started this out with you looking at each other and going, let's go. Right? But there's. It's one thing to say, let's go. It's another thing to end up how they did. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they what? Hurried Hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was laying in the manger. Just tonight. If you say let's go, but you don't hurry off, it does you no good. I will talk to you on December the 25th and you will be exhausted. I will talk to you as the Christmas season goes and you will be in turmoil. I will talk to you through this time and and you will struggle with all kinds of things. Because what you have tonight is you have an invitation to let's go. You have an invitation to good news. You have an invitation to great joy. You have an invitation for this season to kick this season off on the right footing. You have an invitation to walk away from certain things... The context of the shepherds in this story, the shepherds, um, you you were a shepherd because you had sheep, right? The sheep became your identity. If you didn't have sheep, you're not a shepherd right? You had to have this thing. You had to, this became then your identity. This is what you were known for. What do you do? Oh, I'm with the sheep. And that would create certain spaces. You couldn't go to the temple because you were unclean. Why? Because you've been looking after the sheep. So, so essentially your, the, the sheep that you were with now became the identity that you walked out. Let me ask you tonight, what, what's your sheep? What's your sheep? What, what is it in your life that you draw your identity from? What is it tonight that, that you're, you're holding on to because it gives you your standing in society? It gives you your posture. It gives you your, your identity as a person. What, what's the sheep in your world that, that theirs was a very tangible, fluffy, woolly thing, right? But for you, what's yours? What is it that you're holding on to? Because the invitation is this. They had to leave what? The sheep to get to the good news. They had to leave this if they were going to be free and walk forward over here. The second thing about sheep is this, that that was their livelihood. They looked after sheep because they got paid to do so. And they got paid to do so, which meant that they had security. It it meant that they were able to do things and exist and buy things and and live and pay for their families and meet their needs. Essentially, it made them the provider of their world. And, And so their livelihood then became this thing that they carried forward. Their livelihood became the way that they interacted. What's your sheep when it comes to your provision? What's your sheep when it comes to your livelihood? And how tightly do you trust that for security? How tightly are you holding on to this thing, this, what you have for security? Because the invitation to the shepherds was you gotta what? You gotta leave it to get over there. The, la- the last thing about the sheep is in this context for the shepherds, as, as they, they are now in the field and and they're they're with their sheep, what, what the sheep like, represents for them is their past. You see, they're in the field with sheep because somewhere along the way, they'd wrong somebody, whether they were dishonest, whether they'd stolen something, like, like whether they, they, we use the term criminals, they were criminals of some sort. They, they were unclean because they looked after sheep, which what that meant is they couldn't go to church because you had to be clean to go to church, so they were ostracized. And so what the sheep actually represented to them to look at the sheep was to remember who you were and what you've done. And what this call was for them was leave your past. Leave your past and move forward. Leave your past and go to great joy. Leave your past and go see the Savior who has purchased your future. And and so when they say let's go and they hurry, like there's a cost involved to this. And I guess my question for you is we, we begin Advent and we begin leaning into a season um, um, aiming for our souls to be at home for the holidays. And then some of the questions that kind of resonate for me from this is, one, what's your sheep when it comes to your identity? What's your sheep when it comes to your security and, and livelihood and you as the provider? What pressures are you putting on yourself? And then maybe the last one is this, like, what's your sheep when it comes to your past? How are you doing with your past? Because we all got one. Everybody's got a past. And how you hold your past and how your past affects you will determine how you move forward. I mean, it would have been really easy for these shepherds to be on the hill and the angels are singing and they're like, that would make a good worship song. But that's besides the point. Um, Right now, we just need to talk about the fact that you don't know what I've done, angel. You don't know where I've been. You don't know why I'm on this hill. You don't know the things and the people. And I could tell you the stories of those I've hurt. I could tell you the, the stories of places I've been. I could tell you why I'm here. An angel seems to not care. Because what the angel's calling him to is you got to leave. you got to let's go. you got to let go and let's go. And as I was putting this thing together, and I thought it was going to land in Philippians chapter 2. Where, where, and if you're in a life group, I apologize because that's on your life group sheet and I'm not going to go there. Um, but in Philippians chapter two, it talks about that Christ emptied himself. He became humble. He didn't consider his equality with God something to be claimed. He empties himself and ends up in a manger on the outside because it's so overcrowded on the inside. And on top of that, then like, like now these shepherds are getting invited in, right? So, so I was going, God, how do you land this thing? And it took me to a really obscure kind of passage to fit it together. But I believe it's where we're supposed to land tonight. And it's in Psalm 23. It's pretty familiar. The Lord is my shepherd. By the way, this shepherd, it's, it's just a word picture taken from being a shepherd. It's not the outside. It's not the, this is the Lord. So he's perfect. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He, what? Refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths. He refreshes my soul. And this is where it all clicked for me. Because this word refresh, like when I think of refresh, I think of like, a, like I'm dying of thirst and I get a drink and it's like, oh, that just refresh. Like, like it's that, that idea. But that's not what this word is talking about. This, this word intentionally talks about a turning, a turning, or better yet, a returning of the soul. It's a returning of the soul. And now when I, now when I take the returning of the soul and I put it into the context of the verse, it, it's a returning of my soul to this, to this, the Lord is my what? Shepherd. The Lord is my Shepherd. It's a returning to this place where where I can declare the Lord is my shepherd. Now, now, in the context of shepherd, in this context, that means that the Lord is the one that's in control. That means that the Lord is choosing like which way we're gonna go, which pasture you end up in. The Lord is my shepherd. so so maybe just a question to center your soul for for this season, for this advent. Is your soul centered on your shepherd? And what I mean by that is this. Can you declare tonight, the Lord is my. It's a personal. The Lord is my shepherd. And and here's how I want you to gauge it. Because it's really easy. We're in church, right? It's really easy to go, let's go, and then not go anywhere. Right? The Lord is my shepherd. When you say that. Maybe a way to gauge it is this. Are you okay with where you've ended up? Are you okay with the pasture you're in? Are you okay with the season of life you're in and where you're at? Are you, are you content with where the shepherds led you? All right, like when you say the Lord is my shepherd, does he have control of everything? If he told you to walk away from, from your livelihood today, would you walk away? If he told you to walk away from the things that you identify yourself with today, would you you walk away? Because that's what it means for the Lord to be my shepherd. For the Lord to be my shepherd, it means that he can lead me to whichever pasture he wants. Whether I like the grass there or not. He's the shepherd. He has that choice. He has that control. That's where the rubber begins to meet the road. Because if we're honest... We've probably all got areas that tonight we need to say, let's go in this area of making the Lord my shepherd. I preach this now four times and it's it's getting harder, not easier. Because there's areas that I'm going, oh man, the Lord's bringing that to memory. He's bringing that to light. But when you say, let's go tonight and you hurry off. What area is the Lord going? I need to be your shepherd in that area. Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I, other translations say, I shall not want. Is there maybe a more like perfect verse for Advent and Christmas? I shall not, what? Want. Man, it hit me in the second service today as we're preaching this. I'm going, if I take this literally, I just go, I lack nothing. Why? Because the Lord's my shepherd, which means my needs are more than met. Then then all of a sudden, what happens right now is I go, that thing called Christmas that stresses us all out because I got a a list from my six-year-old on the fridge and she's checked it twice. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's her list. She knows what she wants. But she doesn't have one need on the entire planet because the Lord's already provided. Man, when I return my soul to that space, all of a sudden I go, Christmas... I don't need anything under the tree. I already have it all. I've already been given it all. I mean, maybe an iPhone X, you know, but. (laughs) But I don't, I don't need it. See, see how important it is to return because it refreshes my soul. When I get back to the place and I go, God, you're, you're my provider as my shepherd. All of a sudden it's like, oh, the weight is lifted. It's not on me. It's not on me. My job is just to walk where the shepherd tells me today. And the last thing in here is he leads me beside, or sorry, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Did you know that you cannot make a sheep lie down if it is stressed or it is scared? That sounds an awful lot like with the shepherds and their past. We're often in fear of our future because of our past. We're often scared that people will really see who we are. And and so we fail to rest because we put up these masks and we put up these walls and we put up these different things and we fight really hard to be something we're not. Why? Because we're so scared and we're so fearful. Hold on a sec. Let 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 me return your soul back to your shepherd who has provided everything that you need, including freedom in Jesus, that you don't have to listen to the voice of the past. You're free. And so the let 's go," maybe this simple let 's go and return back to the place we were supposed to exist in the first place, where the Lord is my shepherd, and I'll let him worry about the details, and I'll let him worry about what he's going to carry. And so for you, as we, as we kick off Advent, as we dive into this season, as we let our souls come home for the holidays, I hope, I pray that we are a community that as we celebrate Christmas and people come onto this campus and they interact with us throughout the month, that as they interact with us, they go, you are the people of great joy, And we go, we have great joy because we believe this good news. We believe the Messiah already died, so we don't have to. We believe that we're free. We believe that he's in control, and we believe that all we got to do is follow. So church, let's go. God, we come before you. We're so grateful for you tonight. Thank you for loving us the way you do. Thank you for a cross that declares freedom over us. God, thank you for being our shepherd tonight. God, I pray over the room for those that are here that, God, they don't know you as their shepherd. God, they're new to this whole thing and this idea of you being in control is terrifying. God, I pray as we sing some some familiar songs. As we sing some carols together, as we begin to celebrate and we begin to let joy echo through this place, God, I pray that you would work on their souls, that you would move in their souls, that you would set them free in their souls. And God, that their soul tonight would find rest in you tonight. That they would hand over control to you tonight. God, I pray for those that are in the room. And God, they just need to say, let's go in returning their soul back because they've been worried about many things. They've been carrying many things that they were never designed to and their soul has become overcrowded. As we sing, God, would your spirit free us from the baggage we carry? Would your spirit free us from the overcrowding? Would you unclutter us from the inside out? And so God, we celebrate you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for an empty tomb. And thank you for life. Thank you for being our shepherd. And everybody said, amen. Amen.